Well, I'm sure that everyone is now settled back into the routine <laughs> of September, of course. Uh, and uh, school, of course, is uh, back in full force, university, and uh, people are back at work and uh, there's regular rush hours and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, back to the grind. You know, we um, have some traditions on The Jazz Show, and of course, that's what you're listening to right now on CITR, The Jazz Show. And my name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. And we always do this in September. There are two albums that I like to play, and um, they feature, it's kind of a... Um, Entertainment and education all rolled into one to sort of get into the back-to-school idea. But um, this is entertaining, and it's also educational. So what it is uh, this evening is an introduction to jazz, okay? And with recorded examples, as many as possible, and it's narrated by one of the greatest jazz musicians who ever lived, Julian Cannonball Adderley, who was one of the foremost voices of the alto saxophone, one of the most popular jazz band leaders in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, Cannonball Adderley, of course, was uh, started his career as a schoolteacher in Florida, and uh, he graduated, he's a brilliant man, he graduated from college when he was 19, right, and uh, w went right into uh, school teaching. And, of course, uh, the whole legendary story of uh, Cannonball and his brother, they were on summer vacation. And uh, Cannonball, of course, uh, with his alto saxophone and brother Nat with his cornet, headed up to New York City to uh, see what was going on in the jazz capital of the world. And uh, the two brothers went to one of the leading jazz clubs there called the Cafe Bohemia. That was the center, and it was right in Greenwich Village, and great jazz club. Many, many recordings uh, have been uh, done there. So Cannonball and his brother, Nat, uh, strolled into the club, and of course, you know, they were kind of, compared to New Yorkers, they were a little bit uh, countrified, and... Uh, 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 some of the musicians kind of, because uh, they knew that these two guys were musicians, but they, they didn't really look like New Yorkers. And, uh, of course, um, uh, eventually, um, Cannonball, uh, they, he, he, he made motions that he would like to sit in, maybe play a tune with, with, uh, with the band, which was led by the great bassist Oscar Pettiford. And, of course, all the New York heavies were there. And, um, well, of course... This being New York City, <laughs> um, Pettiford says, yeah, 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 okay. And he called the fastest and most ri uh, ridiculous tempo, and they played uh, Cherokee. And, of course, Cannonball just murdered the tune. I mean, literally just tore it apart. And uh, um, um, and I, I mean murdered the tune, not not in the negative sense. Uh, he just took it and 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 just played his buns off, and of course everybody was left with wide open mouths. Here are these 
<laughs> and brother and brother Nat, of course, acquitted himself very well too. So both of them were like, "Holy smoke!" And uh, the New York musicians were. It was one of those kind of stories, which is almost almost uh, like a myth, but it was true. And of course, the two brothers um, immediately were. Um, they, they, they stuck around for uh, quite a while, uh, over a, a couple of weeks, and uh, recording contracts were offered to them and all kinds of stuff. And Cannonball had to go back and fulfill his teaching uh, contract, but then he returned to New York the following year and never looked back after that. And, of course, uh, we all know that he, he um, led his own bands, uh, he played uh, with Miles Davis. He played with all kinds of people be- before uh, and after. And, of course, uh, was a, a huge in- influence on everyone musically. And he was a real jazz communicator. Anyway, just to give you an idea of, of who Cannonball is, many of you have heard this recording because we do this every year. And um, the recording was done in 1960. So it's going to leave off there, and, and it's not going to get into um, avant-garde jazz, uh, free-form jazz, or later on um, fusion, um, what jazz rock, um, the coming of electronic instruments in jazz, and, and, and so on and so forth. We're not going to hear about that, but we will hear about the history of the music and this recording is important because so much of jazz that's played today is based on the principles of the these earlier forms. And, of course, jazz evolves and sounds different, but it's based on all of that. And, and, and you'll hear a, a very lucid explanation of that uh, in this introduction to jazz. And it, it's not um, in-depth. Uh, you can you can do that yourself. It's kind of an overview of the history of the music, and that because uh, it was limited to uh, an LP, um, and of course, so time limit, all this kind of stuff. It's too bad that um, Mr. Adderley didn't do more of these recordings as the music progressed and changed. Um, it might have been very interesting to have a whole series of these recordings, but this is all we have, and I still think it's a very valuable um, recording and entertaining as well. So those of you that have never heard it, you're going to learn something. Those of you that have heard it uh, before, you might hear something new in here and say, oh, yeah, I forgot about this this person. Um one other thing I should mention, of course, uh, Julian Cannonball Adderley died in, uh, quite young in 1975, sad to say. Um, and, of course, a lot of the musicians that he talks about were still very much alive. People like John Coltrane and Duke Ellington and, and uh, so many names that he mentions. And, of course, so many have passed away. And, uh, but he when this recording was made, they were all around. They were, they were here. Anyway, we'll get to it right away. And this is part one of our education feature on The Jazz Show. Uh, this week is Julian Cannonball Adderley. Um, next week, we're going to hear What is Jazz by the great impresario and maestro Leonard Bernstein. 
and he takes a little different view, not a historical view, um, but a little different view. He tells you what jazz is and what jazz isn't, but that's for next week. This week, Julian Cannonball Adderley, and here he is now with an introduction to jazz. just heard two very different sounding examples of the American music called jazz. This record is concerned with telling you and letting you hear something about what jazz is. Not in a music lesson way, but something about what jazz sounds like and why it sounds that way and about some of the many people who've played it and are playing it today. So it seems a good idea to begin by letting you hear these two samples. The first was what jazz sounded like back in the 1920s, which was long before your time. Although I'm sure you've heard of one of the musicians on that record, Louis Armstrong, who was a very young man then. Following that was a little of a record made just a couple of years ago. And one of the musicians on that one happens to be me. The first is called Chimes Blues, and mine is Barefoot Sunday Blues. These two selections must have sounded very unalike. And of course, in many ways, they are very different from each other because a great many things can change in music and in the whole world for that matter in almost 40 years. But in two ways, those two different pieces of music are really very similar. For one thing, both are blues, which means that they have the same musical form. The melody of both is 12 bars long. And even more important is something that I hope you were able to hear in both of them. A feeling of sadness in the first example and happiness in the second. For one of the most important things that almost all music is concerned with, and for that matter, almost all stories and paintings, is the way people feel about things. Their emotions. You feel like laughing when you're very happy or smiling when you're pleased or crying when you're very unhappy. A painter or writer or dancer or singer or a musician is very often expressing feelings like those. Of course, it's not quite that simple, but one thing that you should remember in listening to this album and to any jazz you hear anywhere is that jazz is very much a matter of people expressing their feelings, their thoughts, their ideas about life, and doing it through their music. Back at the beginning of this century, in the very early 1900s, there was no such thing as jazz. But there were, in many parts of America, and particularly in the South, a lot of different kinds of music that were soon to lead to the beginning of jazz. Rhythm, a definite musical beat, is a basic part of jazz. To some extent, you can trace this back to the drum music of Africa. 
from where slaves were first brought to America centuries ago. Chances are that the music of Africa hasn't changed too much. So that this recent example of Congo drumming is a good deal like that of long ago. Working hard in the fields have always depended on rhythm to make their job seem easier, or at least to seem to move along more regularly. Add a melody and repeated phrases, and you have a work song. And it often doesn't sound too different from the blues. Here's an early blues singer named Blind Lemon Jefferson, singing a sort of work song blues that might have begun long ago in a southern sugarcane field. kinds of music, like brass band marches and spirituals, also played a part. And there were also the very catchy melodies of a kind of music called ragtime. Here's Scott Joplin, one of the most famous ragtime composers and piano players, and his best-known tune, Maple Leaf Rag, which you've probably heard before. these pieces didn't suddenly fit together one day and call themselves jazz. As a matter of fact, although there have been lots of stories about that word jazz, no one seems really sure where the word comes from or when people started using it. But early in the 1900s, in the city of New Orleans, small groups of musicians were playing a music that had many of those before jazz sounds in it. Let's listen again to part of that chimes blues we heard at the start of this record. <laughs> ¶¶ 
and see if you can hear some of those sounds in it. The band that played Chimes Blues was led by a famous trumpet player named Joe Oliver, but known as King Oliver. King, as you might imagine, means that he was considered the very best. Music was a very important part of life in New Orleans. The early jazz bands played in parades and at weddings and other big occasions, and it was no small honor to be known as King. But musicians, like all show business people, usually don't stay too long in one place. After a while, these musicians and their jazz began to move on, and King Oliver was one of many who went north to Chicago, which became the next big jazz center. But since our story is going to travel to different cities and through many years right up to the present, before we move on from New Orleans, we should point out that many musicians stayed right there, and those stayers and many of the movers continued to play jazz in pretty much the same early style. Listen to two records made about 20 years after Chimes Blues. The first is by a stayer, clarinetist George Lewis, playing a spiritual, the old rugged cross. The second is a blues, played by Sidney Bechet, who was such a mover that he ended up in France and who was the most famous player of a seldom used instrument, much like the clarinet, the soprano saxophone. <laughs> ¶¶ 
In Chicago, jazz was no longer so much a part of community life. There were no jazz band parades. But in Chicago in the 1920s, you could have heard a great many men and women who were the star entertainers of their day. Let's sample the music of some of them, beginning with a man known as Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Roll was a piano player and a band leader and a songwriter, and was also widely known for his flashy clothes and as one of the most boastful talkers ever. But his music was pretty flashy too as in this piano solo of a tune of his called Perfect Rag. This was also a time when blues singing was very popular, especially such moving and deep-voiced singers as Bessie Smith, and also Ma Rainey, who we'll hear now. Among the changes in jazz that were taking place in the 1920s was that it was being heard and played by more and more people. The musicians you've heard so far on this record have all been Negroes. But in Chicago, there were many white jazz musicians. Some of them were from New Orleans, too. And all of them certainly had listened to Oliver and Dodds and Louis Armstrong. Listen first to the band called the New Orleans Rhythm Kings and a bit of the Maple Leaf Rag and then to the beautiful trumpet of the famous Big Spiderbeck, who grew up not far from Chicago and who is playing the Royal Garden Blues, a tune which just happens to get its title from the Royal Gardens Nightclub, where King Oliver's band played. Thank you. 
Although we haven't talked much about the instruments used in playing jazz, you might have been able to notice that there's almost always a piano, drums, and either a tuba, or, as is always used now, a bass fiddle to keep the basic rhythm going. And the melody is usually played by such brass instruments as trumpet and trombone, and such reed instruments as clarinet and saxophone. Well, towards the end of the 1920s, partly because jazz was often played for dancing in big ballrooms, more brass and reed instruments began to be added to jazz bands. The same kind of instruments as before, that is, but more of them, making bigger bands. Another thing that was happening towards the end of the 1920s was that Louis Armstrong, the young trumpet player who had been almost a pupil of King Oliver and had joined him in Chicago, was becoming the most famous and important of all jazz musicians. One of the first of the big jazz bands was led by a man named Fletcher Henderson, and it happened that Louis played for a while in that band. Still another thing that should be noticed is that solos began to become a very important part of jazz, meaning that instead of everyone playing together, as it happened most of the time with a man like King Oliver's, there were more and more times when a single instrumentalist, assisted by the rhythm instruments, would play his own variations of the melody. That, basically, is improvising. One of the words you hear most often in connection with jazz, and meaning creating your own music to some extent instead of sticking to the written down notes. Which, of course, is part of the expressing your feelings through music idea that we pointed to at the beginning as so important a part of jazz. There has been improvisation in jazz almost from the start. But Armstrong can really be called the first great soloist, the man who first made the individual solo the most exciting and interesting part of a jazz performance. We can get some idea of all three points, big bands, Louis Armstrong, and solos, by listening to Fletcher Henderson's orchestra in a recording with a solo by Louis. Jazz was certainly not staying in any one city all this time. Talented musicians could be heard in many places. For example, in New York, there was an unusual young piano player named Fats Waller, who also liked to sing in his own way, and who was one of the most funny performers of any kind. Listen to what he could do with something like Stephen Foster's Oh Susanna. Rain the night and lay I left, the weather was dry. 
In that growth of big bands, which became very important in the 1930s, no one was more essential than band leader and composer Duke Ellington. His first band may not sound too different from what you've heard so far, but it was the beginning of a very new form of jazz in which the big, rich sounds of a whole orchestra were used to express the ideas and feelings of this one man. Decide for yourself whether this early, not too big, Duke Ellington band sounds like something different. The story of jazz is very much a story of great individual performers, particularly those who were imaginative enough to do things that no musician had thought of before them. Louis Armstrong was one of them, of course, but in some ways, a man named Coleman Hawkins is even more remarkable. At least Louis had been able to learn from other trumpet players, but Coleman Hawkins plays tenor saxophone. He was a member of that Fletcher Henderson band you heard a little way back. And the saxophone had really been added mostly to help create that bigger, fuller dance band kind of sound. But Hawkins made the saxophone into a true jazz instrument, simply by inventing a style of playing that produced wonderful original solos, thus showing the way for all the saxophonists who came along later, for which all of us are thankful. 
Hawkins is still playing, and still playing fascinating jazz, as on this tune called Think Deep, recorded just a few years ago. The 1930s were the swing era, with big orchestras like those of Benny Goodman and Ellington and Count Basie and many others, playing a music that was much smoother and more carefully written down and more suitable for dancing than any earlier jazz had been. Swing referred mostly to that kind of easily rocking rhythm, whether fast or slow, but it was still jazz still a music that expressed emotions and had a place in it for the musical variations of an individual soloist. Often, however, it was when the men who played in the big orchestras were able to make records with smaller groups that they were able to feel closest to the kind of jazz feeling they liked best. For example, here is a small jazz group led by a trumpeter named Buck Clayton, who was with Count Basie's orchestra followed by another small group that includes musicians who regularly played in Duke Ellington's big band.
Early in the 1940s, there began to be another change in the form and sound of jazz, possibly the biggest change of all so far. It involved different ways of dealing with rhythms and harmony and even with melody. And it often called for much more musical schooling than had been needed to play jazz earlier. So for one thing, it sounded very strange indeed when first heard. Strange not only to the public, but also to older jazz musicians. And for another thing, it is harder to discuss or describe without getting into technical or complicated musical language. But bebop, which was the first name given to this new kind of music, and the other forms which have followed it, have come to be the accepted forms of jazz today. Really, the only kind of jazz that most of today's musicians, like myself, find a true and effective way of expressing ourselves. Modern jazz was largely created by the musical thinking and experimenting of such men as alto saxophonist Charlie Parker, trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie, and pianist Thelonious Monk. Listen to this example, a Thelonious Monk composition titled Epistrophe. The composer is at the piano, and the others include a very strongly rhythmic modern drummer, Art Blakey, and two remarkable tenor saxophonists. One is Coleman Hawkins, who we first noted in the 1920s, and the other is the most inventive young modernist named John Coltrane. Listening to modern jazz, you are bound to be confused by all the many names of performers and of styles, you know, cool jazz, soul music, hard bop, and lots more, none of which I intend to try to explain. The point is that today's jazz is still in the midst of being formed and reformed. The earlier forms, even though in some cases they are still being played today, can be looked at a bit more clearly since they are settled and won't be changing anymore. I can only recommend that you listen to records wherever you can, and as much as you can, and I can mention a few of the many current names you will come across in your listening. There are trumpet players like Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis, and a great many younger men, including my brother, Nat Adderley. Listening to a bit of his work here will also give you a touch of two instruments we haven't mentioned before guitar and cello. The guitar has always been around in jazz. It was the instrument accompanying the blues of Blind Lemon Jefferson. But in today's jazz, it is more often played as a melody instrument, as if it were a horn, rather than as part of the rhythm, particularly when it is played by so inventive a guitarist as the one you can hear now, Wes Montgomery. 
Cello hasn't been mentioned because it is rarely a jazz instrument, except when a talented bass player, such as Sam Jones, makes use of it. Tenor saxophone is a widely popular jazz horn, and among the most important young musicians using it are John Coltrane, who we mentioned a moment ago, and Sonny Rollins, who really doesn't sound too different from Coleman Hawkins, but is obviously an artist with ideas all his own. should keep your ears open for many others, too. J.J. Johnson, who plays trombone. A fascinating group called the Modern Jazz Quartet, who have devoted much of their thinking and playing to bringing jazz closer to concert hall music. And a great many pianists, such as Dave Brubeck and Ahmed Jamal, and a young man with a really beautiful piano sound, Bill Evans, who we'll listen to now. Most of today's jazz is played by small groups, but there have been and still are several large orchestras. Some of the most famous big band leaders of the modern period include Stan Kenton, 
Duke Ellington, who is still going strong, and Woody Herman. Here, for example, is what a recent Herman orchestra sounds like. Singing has always been closely connected with instrumental jazz. In the early days of New Orleans and Chicago jazz, there were the blues singers, like Blind Lemon Jefferson and Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. The swing period had its singers, like Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald, who is still one of the most enjoyable singers you could hope to hear. And in the present jazz period, several singers have attempted to express the same sort of newer and freer feeling as the instrumental musicians are doing. Probably the most successful has been Sarah Vaughan, who really has to be thought of as being as much of a musician and an improvising soloist as if she were playing a horn. I keep wishing I was somewhere else Walking down a strange new street I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud Or a robin on a wing But I feel so gay in a melancholy way That it might as well be That's why I feel this way And yet I know it's not spring today But it might as well be spring Of course, today's jazz is very different from yesterday's. Just as the latest model automobiles look very different from a Model T Ford. But there are many similarities, and one way of emphasizing them might be to listen to a modern jazz group playing the same sort of tune that was played by New Orleans bands. Listen to an old spiritual, Wade in the Water, as recorded in 1960 by a band led by tenor saxophonist Johnny Griffin. Thank you. 
even when the tune is a brand new one, the jazz spirit can be very much the same as it has always been. I think that my band, if it is being successful in playing what we feel, means very much the same to people who hear us as the jazz groups of the 20s, or 30s, or 40s meant to their listeners, or as some very different sounding jazz musicians of the 1970s and the 80s and the 90s are going to mean to you and your children. Here is a final sample is one of our recent numbers. I hope that you have enjoyed this introduction to jazz and that it has given you some understanding of what this particular kind of American music is all about. I know and I want you to realize that this has not been any complete history. There's only been time to touch upon some of the highlights and some of the important points. I've had to leave out many details and a great many important ideas and great many names in the jazz story. But perhaps this album has started you towards an interest in this music and has made you curious and ready to start listening to what is to me and many others a most important and fascinating part of American music and life. I certainly hope it has.
And that was our jazz feature this evening, an introduction to jazz narrated by the great Julian Cannonball Adderley, one of the finest voices of the alto saxophone, and of course, right at the end of the the, uh, introduction to jazz, we heard uh, Cannonball's quartet playing the full-length version of uh, his tune, The Barefoot Sunday Blues, with uh, Wynton Kelly at the piano, uh, Percy Heath on bass, and Tootie Heath, brother of Percy, on drums. And we hope you enjoyed that. As Cannonball said, you know, this is just an introduction to the music, and of course it's limited by the fact that it was recorded in 1960, and one hell of a lot has happened to the music since 1960. However, there are still principles that the music is based on and that musicians are still using today. And, of course, um, this is most important because jazz has a long, uh, has a tradition and, and uh, it's basically a language, and uh, musicians um, who play jazz understand that language. And, of course, it changes and evolves, and more things happen, and so on and so forth. And as I mentioned before, it's, um, the other limitation of this recording was that uh, it was done for a small label, and um, I'm sure that uh, it would have been really great if they could, at the time, um, have recorded examples of, say, Charlie Parker or Charles Mingus or different things, but they were limited by what was available to that particular small label. So they had to work around that. But uh, we did hear, of course, a great selection of, uh, of musicians on that. And, of course, the, uh, the very entertaining and educational voice of uh, Julian Cannonball Adderley. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you've heard it before, um, maybe you've discovered something new in this recording, and if you haven't heard it before, there it is. So that was our jazz feature this evening, the first of the jazz show's educational jazz features. Next week on the jazz feature is a wonderful recording that was again done quite a f- many years ago, narrated by the great impresario, not impresario, um, um, maestro, <laughs> he wasn't an impresario. He was just a, a genius musician. Leonard Bernstein, who um, loved jazz music and understood. And uh, he did this recording called What is Jazz? And he kind of takes it apart and tells you what jazz is and what it isn't in an analytical kind of way, but not an academic kind of way. So you don't have to have a whole bunch of musical knowledge to understand what he's saying. So we'll be doing that next week. Part two of um, something we do every September, sort of the uh, back-to-school idea on the jazz show, our educational and, uh, we hope, entertaining jazz feature. So, Leonard Bernstein, next week. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker, and CITR is broadcast right here the campus of the University of British Columbia, 101.9 on your FM dial, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we will be back in 
a couple of moments right after these messages. New Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. tell you what's happening. Tonight is increasing cloud uh, with a low of 16. Then tomorrow is going to be cloudy in the morning and then a nice mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon with a low of 16 and a high of 21. That's tomorrow. Wednesday is a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 11 and a high of 18. And Thursday, a little cooler in the evening, a mix of sun and cloud, low of 9 and a high of 19. Friday is sunny with a low of 11 and a high of 18. And Saturday is a mix of sun and cloud, a low of 8, high of 19. And Sunday is cloudy, with a low of 10 and a high of 18. So not too bad, uh, pleasant weather, and a little, you know, cooling off. And uh, we're getting a little taste of uh, what is, uh, well, going to happen in the future. <laughs> here in beautiful British Columbia. Yeah, the weather is a, a big concern here, but, uh, you know, uh, we have to live with it. All right. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Today is September 11th, and it truly was a day in history that uh, changed a lot of things. For most of us, and uh, I'm obviously not going to go into 
any great detail or any political statement or anything, but I would like to play a couple of pieces of music as a tribute to those lives that were lost in that fateful day, September 11th. And uh, we'd like to begin with a piece of music by great pianist. This is uh, a blues, but a very special blues, and it's entitled Requiem. Pianist is the great Lenny Tristano. Thank you. 
We heard three pieces of music that uh, I dedicate to the memory of those that uh, lost their lives in the uh, horror of 9-11. The three pieces of music we heard, we began with Lenny Tristano on piano playing his composition entitled Requiem, and we moved to a piece of music written by bassist Charlie Hayden and featured Charlie with Chet Baker on trumpet, Enrico Pieranalzi on piano, and Billy Higgins on drums, and from an album recorded in Europe entitled Silence, and that was the name of the composition, Silence. And the final piece of music is a duet um, with pianist Bobby Timmons, and trumpeter Kenny Dorham, and they played their rendition of Pieter Villalobos' composition entitled Prelude. So that was a, a little memorial to the events of 9-11. We're going to continue and remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And just to remind you of a couple of very important websites before we get into uh, some very different music uh, we're going to hear right now. Um, I'd just like to tell you two websites that are um, of interest to jazz folks. One of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and that's coastaljazz.ca. Now, on their website, they have a whole series of concerts coming up. They also, that you can buy tickets for and, and reserve and do all the kind of stuff you, you need to do. You can, all, you can do it all over the Internet. And uh, also reserve and uh, book uh, seats at one of Vancouver's leading jazz clubs, and that's Frankie's, um, down on Beatty Street. And there's all kinds of wonderful music there. It's programmed by the redoubtable Corey Weeds, and there's all kinds of uh, great music down at uh, Frankie's. And uh, if 
you check out the schedule. You can see, oh, I want to see this, I want to see that, I want to see that. And you can book tickets and, and uh, pay for them, do all that kind of stuff. You can do it all over the Internet. So that is an extremely good website to get onto, and that's coastaljazz.ca. And the other very fine website is basically very informative. You can do, uh, you can browse around and read different things on on uh, the website called VancouverJazz.com, and that's maintained by Brian Nation, and uh, that's a website that's been around for a long time and has got all kinds of uh, uh, just neat stuff to uh, to browse around and uh, take some time with and check out. So. Two websites, that's coastaljazz.ca and vancouverjazz.com. And, of course, uh, I'd like to mention, uh, two every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7 at uh, Pat's Pub, which is, of course, down at uh, downtown east side in the uh, historic Patricia Hotel. Uh, some great jazz is played there every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7. And it's, the admission is absolutely free. And they have a great selection of uh, beers and beverages and all that kind of stuff. And excellent food. And, of course, uh, the place is very musical. Um, good acoustics and so on and so forth. And some of our finest musicians uh, perform there. So check out Pat's Pub every Saturday afternoon from 3 until 7. They also have, uh, occasionally, they have other major events there as well, and uh, um, you can check out their schedule on the Internet. So there you go. Um, We're going to move now to a musician I've always admired, the late, great Gato Barbieri from Argentina an incredible tenor saxophonist with an amazingly distinctive sound. Gatto went back in the mid-'70s. He wanted to record uh, some music that was basically a reflection of the music that he grew up with. He didn't grow up with jazz. He grew up with indigenous uh, Argentinian music. And, of course, there's all kinds of different styles down there. There's a tango thing. There's uh, music from Argentina, uh, Argentina's indigenous people. Um, there's, a, there's just a melting pot of uh, uh, musical concepts down there and different ways of, of performing. And he uh, went to specifically do that. He had become quite famous in the United States, but he did want to go back and... Um, uh, record some music that reflected his uh, his his background, and of course his uh, amazing technique on the tenor saxophone. So he performs here with a whole bunch of uh, uh, musicians from Argentina. I'm not going to go into all the names here, but uh, you're going to hear the Indian flute, you're going to hear the uh, Indian harp, you're going to hear electric guitar, classical guitar, the charango, which is a small ten-string guitar. Uh, the Fender bass, um, regular drums, then you're going to hear um, other types of uh, percussion, Indian drums, bombos, um, and then you're going to hear different uh, uh, 
uh, percussion instruments, the anapa, the akere, the siku, uh, the quina, uh, <laughs> different kinds of percussion instruments, all this sort of stuff. So this piece of music was recorded in Buenos Aires uh, in April of 1973. It's a great, uh, fascinating piece of music, and it's called Encuentros. Gato Barbieri.
Well, was that uh, powerhouse enough? <laughs> Gato Barbieri, the late, great Gato Barbieri on tenor saxophone. That was his composition entitled Encuentros, and um, that was recorded in Buenos Aires in April of 1973 with uh, Gato and a whole bunch of uh, uh, Argentinian musicians and indigenous uh, musicians as well from Argentina, a whole group of people, and of course all kinds of instruments in there, um, including of course electric bass, drums, and uh, all kinds of percussion instruments, and uh, various guitars, and uh, you name it. Encuentros, and that's from his uh, well-known album entitled Latino America. And uh, Gato went home to um, uh, not only recharge his batteries, but to uh, uh, record uh, some music that he um, grew up with and uh, um, wanted to develop a little further. So that's a Incredible performance, and of course, uh, Gatto, with his usual intense um, performance on the tenor saxophone. We're going to play something now by another great saxophonist, someone whose name is synonymous with uh, innovation and great jazz music. I'm talking about John Coltrane, and we'll be doing that right after a couple of important messages. Become a CITR member and make some new friends. Members get discounts on Main Street at Hot Art, Wet City, Antisocial Skateboard Shop, East Vanity Parlor, The Wallflower and Modern Diner, RX Comics, Dandelion Records and Emporium, The Rag Machine, Neptune Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Book Warehouse, On the French Hair Design, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, True Value Vintage and I Found Gallery, and The Biltmore Cabaret. What would we do without our friends? MRG Concerts is pleased to present Montreal pop band Tops at the Imperial on Tuesday, September 12th. Tops has been associated with stellar acts like Grimes and Maximarco. Tickets on sale at mrgconcerts.com. You won't want to miss it. John Coltrane recorded uh, an incredible amount of, uh, of music in his relatively short life. This uh, album was his first for Impulse Records, and uh, of course that was a new and very deluxe uh, label. He, uh, Coltrane had just signed a contract with that label, and of course um, he was with Impulse um, right up to the end of his life. This was uh, recorded in 1961, and it features uh, basically the quartet with some added musicians, um, or quintet, actually, because uh, we're going to hear McCoy Tyner at the piano, Reggie Workman on bass, and also the great Art Davis on bass, and, of course, Elvin Jones on drums. There is a brass section on here, 
uh, with various people, uh, such as Booker Little, the, the legendary trumpeter, and Britt Woodman, trombonist, um, Julius Watkins, uh, and a whole bunch of French horn players. Um, also Bill Barber on tuba, and some reeds, uh, including Eric Dolphy um, on alto saxophone and flute, bass clarinet, and Pat Patrick on baritone saxophone. Um, the interesting thing is that Eric wrote the um, orchestral parts of this uh, performance, and um, it's an incredible piece of music, and I hope you enjoy Africa, John Coltrane, and orchestra.
rather famous piece of music by John Coltrane from his first uh, album on Impulse Records, which, of course, was entitled Africa Brass. And uh, indeed, that was his composition, entitled Africa. The orchestra was arranged by Eric Dolphy, and of course it was full of uh, uh, trumpets, trombones, French horns, etc., and reeds. And of course uh, it featured the basic um, quintet of, of John Coltrane with two bassists, Reggie Workman and Art Davis, and of course some incredible drumming by Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner at the piano, and of course Mr. Coltrane on tenor saxophone. One of his legendary performances in a, uh, an album that uh, is, uh, of course, is now one of his uh, great iconic albums, Africa Brass. And that was the title track, Africa. John Coltrane. You know, at uh, Frankie's uh, Jazz Club, there is an event happening uh, this weekend by some of our finest musicians. I played some of their music last week, and I'm going to repeat it uh, tonight because uh, they are playing, this this very same band will be playing at Frankie's uh, this Saturday and Sunday. And you really owe it to yourselves to uh, check this out. It's led by the great Jennifer Scott, who um, does all the vocals. And... We hear Miles Black on piano, uh, Renee Wurst, Jennifer's husband, on acoustic bass, and James McRae on drums. And we played um, a few tracks from this album last week, and it's called Impressions of Lightfoot, and it's fresh impressions of Gordon Lightfoot's music. So it's a a truly Canadian (laughs) experience. And, of course, the music is just marvelous what these, uh, what these folks do with uh, Lightfoot's music. So we're going to hear a couple of tunes. Uh, we're going to open with one uh, entitled Beautiful, and uh, we'll follow that with um, For Lovin' Me, and we'll follow that with Early Morning Rain, three compositions by the great Gordon Lightfoot, and played by Jennifer Scott, Renee Wurst, Miles Black, and James McRae from this uh, album, Impressions of Lightfoot. So check these folks out. And just a reminder that this very same band will be performing live at Frankie's on Saturday, September 16th, and Sunday, September 17th.
what you get for loving me
That was the voice of Jennifer Scott. And with a whole group of uh, wonderful musicians, Jennifer will be performing a lot of these songs uh, at uh, Frankie's this Saturday and Sunday with this uh, very same band, including Miles Black on piano, Renee Wurst on bass, and James McRae on drums. And, of course, uh, Miles might even uh, decide to pick up the saxophone, as he did on one of those tunes we heard, uh, just right at the very end. But we heard three tunes by Gordon Lightfoot, because uh, this is what um, the theme of the show will be. We'll be performing Lightfoot's music, but interpreted by Jennifer and uh, her friends. This is from an album called Impressions of Lightfoot, and uh, I played some uh, tunes last week, and uh, we, I guess we re- repeated a couple tonight. Uh, we heard Beautiful, um, That's What You Get for Loving Me, and Early Morning Rain. And uh, on uh, That's What You Get for Loving Me, we heard a little bit of uh, saxophone, uh, soprano saxophone, played by Miles Black, who is uh, extremely versatile. He can do anything. He's a good bass player, too. Anyway, that's uh, the band, and they'll be performing at Frankie's. I hope you enjoyed their music. And, of course, uh, once again, Jennifer Scott on vocals, uh, Miles Black on piano and uh, occasionally the saxophone, and Renee Wurst on acoustic bass and James McRae on drums. So check them out at uh, Frankie's. They're there this Saturday and Sunday. Make reservations because uh, they're, uh, it's going to be very well attended. I know that. I'd like to continue with uh, another group, but this time a group of musicians from Toronto. And uh, they're all friends of mine. And uh, I would. Uh, this is from a brand-new album um, by bassist Mike Downs and the album is called Root Structure and it's on uh, Addo Records and it features Mike on bass uh, who wrote these three tunes that we're going to hear. The great Ted Quinlan on guitar. Ted of course lived in Vancouver for many many years before departing for Toronto and one of the great virtuoso guitarists and a fabulous piano player, keyboard player, Robbie Botos. And uh, Robbie is, well, he, he's playing with everybody these days, playing with Branford Marsalis and uh, traveling all over the place. Uh, incredible musician. And on drums, Larnell Lewis. So we're going to hear three tunes from this album. Um, the first one is entitled Momentum. The second tune is called Heart of the Matter. And the third tune, Miles. 
So here then, bassist Mike Downs. Thank you. 
We heard four compositions from this uh, incredible album called Root Structure, and a group led by bassist Mike Downs. And all of these gentlemen are based in uh, the city of Toronto. And, of course, Ted Quinlan is playing guitar. He uh, lived in Vancouver for many, many years and, of course, moved to uh, the Big Smoke uh, a number of years ago. Great, great guitarist. And, of course, on piano and keyboards, the uh, incredible Robbie Botosh and Larnell Lewis on drums and, of course, Mike Downs on bass, who wrote the four tunes that we heard. We opened with Momentum, and then we moved to Heart of the Matter, then a tune called Miles, and the final tune, Moving Mountains. So this is from an album on Addo Records. It's just come out, and uh, I highly recommend it. It was recorded uh, in the uh, Humber College Studios um, in August of 19. 19- of 2016, and the album is entitled Root Structure. Check it out, bassist Mike Downs. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we'd like to continue now with um, a great band led by the wonderful Bobby Hutcherson who uh, actually was our jazz feature artist last week. But this is a band um, that Bobby had with the um, tenor saxophonist, the great tenor saxophonist Harold Land. And this one features Stanley Cowell on piano, Reggie Johnson on bass, and Joe Chambers on drums, and, of course, Bobby on vibes. And this is a composition by Joe Chambers, and it's titled... Ungano. Check it out. Thank you. 
That was entitled Ungano, and that was a composition by the drummer on the day, Joe Chambers. And, of course, that was the Bobby Hutcherson, Harold Land quintet, with Bobby, of course, on vibes, and the great Harold Land on tenor saxophone, Reggie Johnson on bass, and Stanley Cowell on piano, and, of course, the composer of that piece, Joe Chambers, on drums, Ungano. We're going to hear now a wonderful piece of music by alto saxophonist Jackie McLean that he wrote for his uh, daughter, and it's called Melody for Melanie. And uh, we're going to hear Jackie, along with the leader of the band, the great late Kenny Dorham on trumpet, Bobby Timmons at the piano, who just smokes on this piece, Teddy Smith on bass, and John Charles Moses on drums, J.C. Moses. And I've always liked uh, Moses drumming, and of course he, uh, he makes this piece happen. So here then is uh, from the album Matador, the um, Jackie McLean composition, Melody for Melanie.
That was a piece of music entitled Melody for Melanie, written by Jackie McLean and played by this uh, wonderful quintet led by trumpeter Kenny Dorham. Kenny Dorham on trumpet, Jackie McLean, of course, on alto saxophone, the composer. Bobby Timmons at the piano, almost stealing the show on that one. Uh, Teddy Smith on bass and J.C. Moses on drums. We're going to play one more track uh, from this album to close the show, and it's actually the title track from this album, and uh, it was written by the trumpeter Kenny Dorham, and we're going to hear El Matador. Thank you. 
And that was the title track of this uh, incredible album, which was uh, recorded back in uh, 1962. And it was actually issued on uh, United Artists Records, and it was entitled Matador. And uh, the leader of the band was trumpeter Kenny Dorham, the uncrowned king, as uh, Art Blakey called him. Jackie McLean on alto saxophone, Bobby Timmons at the piano, Teddy Smith on bass, and J.C. Moses on drums. And that was Kenny Dorham's composition entitled El Matador. So that's it for this edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. I'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening on behalf of uh, CITR 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca, and myself, Gavin Walker. We'll be back next week in the jazz feature. Next week is part two of our education series on The Jazz Show, and this time it will be What is Jazz? with the great maestro Leonard Bernstein. Take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye for now. Bye.